call resolution because every new year, people like to make these things called resolutions. And guess what? We're at week three of the new year, and this is when most resolutions begin to fall apart. So hang in there if you've made a resolution for 2019. Hang in there. But this is like the do or die week for a lot of people's habits. And that's why I wanted to focus on some renewed priorities for the new year, things that I hope you won't give up on week three of our new year. I hope these are things that will carry you into the new year with strength. Our first resolution we talked about three weeks ago, we talked about how this year I will guard my thoughts carefully knowing that they influence my attitudes and my actions. And some of you, God, really took you to the woodshed on this issue of your thought life. And I hope that you're sticking with that. You really are guarding what comes into your minds. We talked about number two last week. This year, I will pursue healthy relationships that inspire and influence me to become the best version of me. Some of you know that your relationships are not inspiring you to be the best version of you. And so this year, God's challenging you to get some new friends. Life groups are a great way to get around with people who love Jesus and want to grow in that relationship too, what a great place to find some friendship. Well, tomorrow our nation honors uh, a man who had a dream. And while our nation still needs to work to see this dream continue to become a reality, Martin Luther King Jr. certainly did inspire and continues to inspire countless people with the dream that he had. Many of you were alive when this dream was given. Uh, But if you weren't, here's just a few highlights of that dream to remind us of what an inspiring dream sounds like. Go ahead, Bill. So when was the last time you were inspired by a dream? In fact, maybe a better question is, when was the last time you were inspired by your own dream? By your own dream. You know, God is still in the business of planting dreams in the hearts of people who are willing to listen, to pay attention to a dream of what he'd like to do in and through your life. So the question is, do you have a dream, or have you settled for the reality of your day-to-day life? We'll call it the routine reality that you live with, where you keep getting the same thing every day. Or do you have a dream that inspires you and motivates you, that gets you up out of bed in the morning rather than hitting the snooze button three times? Do you have a dream that, that motivates you through the day? And then when you lay down at night, it fills your heart once again with excitement for the next day. Have you ever lived in that kind of expectancy with that kind of dream? Because that's the way that dreamers live. And if not, my challenge today is that you learn to dream again, to dream again, that you need to have a renewed priority of living toward a dream in 2019. What's all even rhymes. Living toward a dream in 2019. And a dream isn't just something you're pursuing in this earthly way. We're going to talk about the difference between the dream that I believe God wants to put in your heart and just the stuff of life that we have to do every day. But the great achievements of our history all have something in common. And that was they began with the pursuit of a dream. I mean, think back over anything in history that we study in our textbooks as students in history. You look at those events and you go, you know what? The origin of those great achievements in history, started with a dream, and that dream started with a dreamer, somebody who was willing to believe. It was Harriet Tubman, who hopefully is a name you know. If not, you need to do a little study in history. She said this, every dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. 
What she was highlighting is that with the help of God and Holy Spirit-inspired dreams, dreams are a powerful thing. A dream can be a powerful thing. When you believe that and you grab hold of that preferred future, when you have that picture of what you think God can do and will do in your life this year, that picture bleeds out of your heart into your life. And it drives you through each day. Not because you ought to or you're supposed to. Because some of you, you go through your day because you have to. What would happen if you had a dream that motivated you through your day because you wanted to? You wanted to see God accomplish in and through your life the things that he desires. Because a life-worthy dream like that, where God begins to work in your life, you know what it does? It breathes wind into the sails of your life changing the course of your life and sometimes changing the course of history. We've seen dreamers in the past. There was a dreamer named Alexander the Great. This was in the 4th century BC. He became king of his little empire when he was 20 years old. And over the next 12 years, he led a military conquest that totally took over that Western civilization in in the area in which he lived, which made way, by the way, for the transmission of the gospel in the Greek language because he had a dream. Now, his dream maybe was a little misguided, conquest of the world, maybe not the best dream. But you know what? It made way for the advancement of the gospel, and it still changes the way we do life in Western civilization even today. There was a guy named Paul who had a dream that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached into the far reaches of the Roman Empire, and he did that. He took that gospel to philosophers and to kings and to emperors, and he saw churches grow and the gospel advance. It was a dream that motivated persecuted Christians, we call them pilgrims, right, to leave their home in pursuit of a place to freely worship their God. And those colonies not only were established, but they thrived into the nation that we enjoy as America today. There was a dream of a guy named William Carey. And if you've not read anything about William Carey, he's somebody I think you need to study. William Carey had a vision to take the gospel to India in 1792. He began that mission, and it made way for the first missionary society that really birthed the missions movement that we see in evangelical churches today. There was a guy named Dwight Moody. He had a dream to reach the youth of Chicago. And through his dream, God began to plant not only churches, but schools that would train young people. And also out of that, there became a great outreach evangelistic movement. Maybe you've heard of Moody Bible Institute or Moody Press, which is a publishing company, all because of a guy's dream. What is your dream? It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in right now. You might be saying, Kelly, I think you're about 40 years too late on this message for me. No, I'm not. Are you living? Are you alive? How old was Abraham when God put a dream in his heart in the Old Testament that he'd become the father of a great nation? Well, he and Sarah were well past their child birthing years. It's never too late to have a dream of what God wants to do in and through your life and how you can serve his mission in his kingdom. In fact, when Jesus handpicked his disciples, they had a dream. Now, like many of us, their dream was a little misguided. They believed that Jesus was going to lead them as leaders 
to become this great army that would overthrow Rome and, be, and, and allow Israel to once again be the prominent established nation that it once was under King David. And so they had a dream. We'll call it the dream of a great conquest where they would hope that Israel would be established and Jesus was here, this Messiah in the line of David who would do that. But his mission didn't lead to a palace. His mission didn't lead to a conquest. It led to a cross. And that cross, it led to a grave. And that grave led to broken dreams of those disciples who thought that Jesus was here to change the world. But their dreams got broken. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and your dreams are broken. You had a dream once. Maybe it was even a God-inspired dream that you felt God whisper into your heart. But it's been a long time ago, and life has happened, and circumstances have happened, and setbacks have happened, and that dream has got broken. Or maybe for some of you, like the disciples, it's been misguided. You've been focusing your energy on a dream that really isn't what God desires of your life. For example, when I was a kid, I dreamed of being a paramedic firefighter. And I pursued that line of career. And I became that, and I wasn't satisfied. (laughs) Because God had a plan for my life that was outside of that dream that I was living. I had a misguided dream. Never would I know that I'd be a pastor who one day would serve my community's first responders as a chaplain. I was maybe in the right direction, just a little misguided. Maybe from some of you, you just have forgotten dreams. You ever had that feeling in the morning that you know you had a dream when you were sleeping, but you just could not remember what it was? And I was talking to somebody who said, I don't think I ever dream. And I said, that's like impossible. You have to dream. You just don't remember them. And maybe that's some of you. Your ability to remember or to feel like God is putting something in your heart is dead. But you know what? God still inspires people with dreams because the gospel is still advancing. And you know what? That morning, we call it resurrection morning, when that grave burst open with resurrection life, and the disciples heard about it, something began to awaken in their heart again. Yeah, hope, but you know what else it was? It was a dream that maybe this isn't over. Maybe, maybe there's something here that he wants to do, but they're, they were still a little misguided. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus had already appeared to them several times after his resurrection, and, and one of the disciples kind of said, hey, is now the time when you're going to establish the nation of Israel? Otherwise, hey, look at you. You died, and then you came back from the dead. Nobody can kill you. You're unstoppable. Is it now time for this great dream of ours, this great conquest to happen? And Jesus shuts them down and says, it's not for you to know the times or the hours, but you will be my witnesses. And he gives them a commission. And their dream changes from the great conquest to now what we'll call the Great Commission. In fact, you find it in Matthew 28, 18. And as Christians, listen to me. This is the material, the context of which our dreams for God now come. Because everything in biblical history was moving to this point. Jesus dying, rising from the dead, and commissioning his disciples to bless all Nations. That was the promise given to Abraham thousands of years earlier, that through his seed, all nations would be blessed. Fast forward to Jesus, that particular seed that came from Abraham, that was the Messiah, who is the Son of God, who died on a cross for our salvation, that we might be saved. And that gospel message now, Jesus says you can't keep it to yourself. 
This is the dream, the dream that people would awaken to the hope of the gospel. So he tells them in Matthew 28, sorry, yeah, 28, 18 to 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, to summarize what he's saying, he's basically saying this, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, now go reach the known world, go reach the planet with the gospel, that's your mission. Imagine being one of the 11 disciples, because one hung himself. Remember Judas, he betrayed Jesus, and he killed himself. So 11 guys who were commissioned, handpicked by Jesus. Imagine him saying to you, you're going to take this gospel into the whole world. Does that sound a little impossible to you? I mean, we have to remember this is first century, so this predates travel like we have today with flight and train or automobile. This predates the internet. This predates the printing press. This predates televised broadcast. I mean, 11 guys who pretty much haven't left Galilee, the little area they live. And he says, now you're going to take this gospel everywhere. I'd be probably going, that's a really big dream, Jesus. Not so sure about that. Are you going to stay and help us? Well, I'll be with you, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If your leader rises from the dead, he has recategorized what is possible. In other words, what we would have thought is impossible, a person rising from the dead. When that happens, it pushes the boundaries of possibility. And as followers of Jesus, we've got to always remember the word of Scripture that says that with man, this might seem impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So through the Great Commission, he drops this ginormous God-sized dream in the hearts of these disciples. And they could have walked away from it. They could have said, no way. This is way too overwhelming. Who are we? We're fishermen. We're tax collectors. They were a pretty eclectic band of guys that Jesus handpicked. But you know what? Within the first 100 years, the gospel went into their known world, which was primarily their travel routes, the Roman Empire. The gospel had moved throughout their known world in 100 years. By 300 years, the Roman Empire had adopted Christianity as their worldview. 11 men capturing a God-sized dream that upsets the entire Roman Empire. Friends, God does his God-sized dreams through people who will believe him. Countless times in Scripture, I see God who delights in doing the impossible through improbable people. And you might say, that's me. I'm an improbable person. Congratulations. You know what that means? That God delights in doing the impossible through the improbable, and that's you and that's me. But here's why that's important. Because God gets the glory. Because God gets the credit. And it's because of that that those men, those 11 men, said, okay, we can dream again. We can dream again. And maybe as you hear today's message, maybe the Holy Spirit would challenge you. Yes, I can dream again. I can believe that God has a plan and purpose. In fact, that's resolution number three. This year, I will learn to dream again, believing that God wants to do something great in me and through me. 
I can dream again, believing that God wants to do something great in me. Yeah, Kelly, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've walked away from the Lord since then. Listen, it's time to dream again. I believe this could be the year when God desires to do in and through you more than you could ever imagine. In fact, that's what Ephesians tells us. Paul, ministering to the church at Ephesus through a letter, and he knows it's not easy to be a Christian in this very secularized culture where Christians were still literally being killed for their faith. Why would I want to be an evangelist or, or a missionary in a realm where people are killing me, right? But look at what he says. Ephesians 3.20, this is what he's been praying over them. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, and I love this next word, or imagine. That's a word for dream. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, how? According to his power. And how's it going to happen? At work within us. This is the context. You and me. God has an, an ability to do more than we could ask or imagine in people who will imagine with him because of his power at work in a certain context. And that context is you. He doesn't just kind of mysteriously move in the magical sky. Sometimes he may in his, in his wisdom, but most of the time I've seen the gospel be carried out through the mouths and the hands and the witness of people who were used mightily of God by the Holy Spirit to do this. And it goes on, to him be the glory. That's the whole point. He does these immeasurably great things, not that you can step back and like, look at me, I'm pretty awesome. No, look at what God does through people who are willing to be obedient. And so great, Kelly, I should dream again, but how do I do that? I'm going to give you some, a few things to think about and we'll get you out of here. Number one, to dream again, God must be the source of the origin and the fulfillment of your dream. God's got to be the source. There have been many dreams that I have had, maybe just like you, many dreams that people have had that don't even factor in God. And perhaps you have found yourself pursuing a dream that leaves you chasing after the wrong things. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I mean, I know we have earthly dreams and things that we pursue, and I, I get that. But those should not take the precedence of his vision through our life. And sometimes we get so busy climbing the ladder of success that we don't realize it's leaning on the wrong wall. And our dreams are not honoring God. It's all about self-actualization and self-advancement and self-improvement. And we haven't even thought about what God wants to do in and through our lives. See, the Great Commission changes that for all of us. The Great Commission means each one of us who say that we're followers of Jesus, we are the context through which God wants to do what he wants to do in our world. And he wants to do that in the minds of people who will believe and dream. He's able to do great things. But instead, we often become very self-absorbed. And that's what the prophet Isaiah speaks to in the nation of Israel when they had turned their back on God in their history of the Old Testament. Isaiah 50, uh, 65, 2, listen to what he says. All day long... I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imagination. This might have been the story of your life. You've been obstinate. You've been walking in ways that are certainly not good, and you are pursuing your own imaginations. 
But here's the thing I love about this verse. It begins by saying, but I hold out my hands to these obstinate people. In other words, God's saying, look, partner with me. Believe in me. Trust in me because if you will do that and your hardened heart turns pliable and you trust in me, your ways will not only be made right, but your imaginations will be inspired by me and the things that I can do in and through your life. So dreams are not about ourselves. They're always about God. He's the origin and the fulfillment. Quick story reminds me in the Old Testament of Joseph, who was known as the man of dreams. Joseph was a young guy. He was, the, uh, at that time, the only son of Jacob and his favorite wife. And guys, I hope you never have to say somebody's your favorite wife. But um, anyway, uh, he's the oldest of two sons that would have been born from his favorite wife. And uh, so he was the favored son of all the sons of, of Jacob. He, he had 12 total. And Joseph was the favorite, daddy's boy. He had the special coat of many colors. But he had a dream, and he told his brothers his dream. And this dream was kind of weird. It was sheaves of wheat, and people were like, I don't understand. But the whole point was, in this dream, his brothers would bow to him. Now, I, I, can, I have three brothers that well, two brothers that attend this church, and, and none of them, I never had a dream they'd bow to me. I thought about it a few times, probably, as I was growing up, but, so he shares this, and then he has another dream, and in this dream, the stars, the moon, and the sun, symbolic of his father and mother, also bowing to him, and that sounds like, if anything, a very self-absorbed dream, right? That dream gets him in trouble, his brothers despise him because he's daddy's favorite. Now he's having these dreams of grandeur where we're going to bow down and worship you. And so they want to put an end to this dreamer. So one day, Jacob says to Joseph, go out and check on your brothers, which means they were out working while he was hanging out with dad, right? So that's always a problem. And they were out working far away, tending sheep. And so he goes to check on them. It would be a three days journey. He finally finds them and they see him coming a ways off. And they say, oh, look, here comes that dreamer Let's see what becomes of his dream. They had plans to derail him and his dreams. And you know what? There's always going to be people and situations in your life that are here to say, oh, look, here comes that dreamer. Let's derail their dreams. And so they take Joseph, they rip his coat off, they throw him into a pit and leave him there to die. But then they had a better idea. While they were sitting around having sandwiches while he's in this pit, they decide to sell him. Why not make some money off of our brother? So they sell him to some merchants traveling by who were slave traders, and Joseph finds himself in Egypt. And you know the rest of the story. When he's in Egypt, he finds himself in Potiphar's house, and he becomes a favored servant in Potiphar's house, and he becomes kind of next in command to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife really likes the way Joseph looks, tries to seduce him several times with Joseph resists, and finally, when they're alone in the house, she seduces him one more time, and he says no and runs from her, and she grabs his cloak, accuses him now of rape, thrown into prison. So what is becoming of Joseph's dream? Well, in prison, the Bible says he finds favor with the prison guard. That's the last person on earth I probably want to find favor with. But he finds favor with the prison guard and says that God is with him. And so we understand the story. He's in prison, and a couple of the guys that work for Pharaoh, a cupbearer and a baker, they get tossed into prison because Pharaoh's not happy with them. And they have these dreams while they're in prison with Joseph. And they tell Joseph their dreams because they're troubled by him. And Joseph interprets them what's going to happen. And those come true. The baker was going to lose his head. 
The cupbearer was going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. And sure enough, that happened. And, and Joseph said, look, when you are with Pharaoh, remember me. Remember me. Nobody remembers Joseph. Until the day the king has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can understand it. And the guy goes, oh, wait a second. There was a prison mate of mine who could interpret dreams. And I'm sure a prison mate who could interpret dreams sounded very highly qualified for Pharaoh. But either way, Joseph's brought into Pharaoh and he interprets the dream about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And it's going to happen just like, and Joseph even gives some ideas of what they should do. And so he's elevated from prisoner to second in command to Pharaoh, overseeing the distribution of food. Now, let me help you put a context to this. From the time that his brother sold him to the time he was elevated to second in command to Pharaoh was not a week. It wasn't a month. It wasn't a year. That was 11 years at least. 11 years. 11 years and his dream had still not come, right? But then one day as he's overseeing food, the famine has begun. People are coming from everywhere to get their grain because Egypt has the grain because they had years of plenty and they saved it. And Joseph's brothers come for some grain and Joseph recognizes them. And I love a way that in, in, in Genesis chapter 42, it talks about it, that when Joseph sees them, they don't recognize him. But I like what it says Verse 7 of Genesis 42, you don't have it on the screens, but just listen. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams. God was the start and the fulfillment of his dreams. Well, you can read the rest of the story. Joseph kind of plays with them like a cat playing with a mouse. And, you know, they, he kind of does some interesting things that I think siblings would probably do to each other given the circumstances in which they went through. Long story short, Jacob's family moves to Egypt. The brothers, upon the death of their father Jacob, get worried about Joseph finally carrying out his revenge. And so they say, well, hey, dad said before he, he died that you need not kill us basically is my Reader's Digest version. And what I appreciate about Joseph is he says, you know, what you meant for harm, God has meant for good. You tried to kill my dreams, but God is faithful. Friends, in that story, we see how God is the source of the origin and the fulfillment of our dreams. And all of us have dreams that we pursue. For some of you, it might be a dream for the perfect house, the perfect career, the perfect kids. Some of you might be marriage or graduation. I don't know where you're at, but all of us have pursuits of dreams in life, but these are secondary dreams. I'm not against any of these, but they're secondary because once we become a follower of Jesus, he is our Lord is the word we use, which means he's the one that kind of gets to dictate the important things of our life. And his mission always supersedes all of these secondary missions. But here's the problem you and I all know we face. Our secondary missions always try to become primary. In fact, some of you right now, you're pursuing your secondary dreams, thinking somehow they're going to satisfy, and you're going to stand one day before a Lord who was the one who had a dream for you, and you're going to have to give an account for your life of what you've done with the knowledge of God's Son, Jesus, as your Savior, and you're going to say, hey, you know, I got married, and we had four kids, and I bought a house, and I had a good retirement, and I enjoyed my grandkids. 
So that's what you did with the knowledge of my son Jesus and the gospel in your world. You arrived safely at death. And that's my next point. To begin again, to begin dreaming again, you must stop living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Some of you, that's what you're doing. I'm going to do good. I'm going to just, you know, I'm going I'm to arrive safely at death. What I see in Scripture is Jesus always challenging people to live wildly at life. And death happens when he's done with you. All right? But in the meantime, you pursue his vision and plan for what he wants to do in life. Now, again, you're going to have to be a dad or a wife. You're going to have to have a business or a job and hopefully a place to live. He's not calling us to all be homeless. I, I get it, but this is the big thing. He has a vision for you that supersedes all of those, and it's not just to arrive safely at death. In fact, it was Jesus who said to his disciples in John 14, 12, he knew the Holy Spirit was coming, and he said this, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to my Father. Are you seeing any of the greater things that he wants to do in and through your life? Or are you just waiting to arrive safely at death with a good retirement, a happy life, happy wife kind of thing? You know, this is not the goal. To dream again means we have to push past that. I like what Walt Disney said. All of our dreams come true if we have the courage to pursue them. I think God has some dreams he wants you to pursue before it's time to go see him. Because he wants to birth those in your heart. So then you can stand before him and say, Lord, this is what I did with the, with the dream. I believe you birthed in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And here's what I did. Here's the family members I saw come to know Jesus. Here's the neighbors that I saw come to know Jesus. Here's the work I felt like you called me to in our community or in missions or whatever it is God is stirring your heart to do. Number two, I guess three, to dream again, you must believe that God is real and then live like it. See, most people believe God is real, but few people act like it's true. So believe he's real and then live like he is. And so that means you step into those times when you want to step away from the big dream he's putting in your heart. But the same God who put that there is the God who will fulfill it. But do you live like you believe that? To dream big dreams, that means we have to know where our security comes from, and it's not from my comfort. It's not from my position in life. It's not from the place I live. He is the one who is my security. He is my dream fulfiller. And you're one dream away, I believe, from a totally different year and a totally different life. But, of course, you have to pursue it and live as though God actually really does exist and wants to see his dream that he's planted in your heart come true. Number four, dream again. You must refuse the tendency to simply repeat history. Without a dream, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do what you did last year. And here's the thing. Your built-in routine will consistently deliver what you're currently experiencing. So if you don't like what your routine is currently always bringing you to, then you need need a dream. (laughs) And the reason why you need a dream is because dreams are routine busters. That means I can't stay the same this year if God's birthing a dream in my heart than I was last year because I have to be moving into that dream. 
But too many of us live that routine that becomes that treadmill that always produces the same thing every year. And here's the thing. Some of you can look back over five to ten years, and not much has changed in your existence. Same job, same house, same patterns of living, but no great dream has been accomplished or pursued. Friends, listen. The church needs to wake up to the fact God still does this in people every day who are willing to believe him. So we can't just repeat history. Thomas Jefferson says it this way, I like the dreams of the future better than the history of the past. So what are your dreams for the future? What is it God is calling you to to give you an excitement and anticipation as you face 2019? Because if you don't have it, guess what? You're going to do the same thing you've done last year. Might as well not buy a new calendar because it's going to look just like last year's calendar. It's time to dream Again, and then adjust your life accordingly. Finally, to dream again, you must refuse the comfort of just breaking even. There is a brand of Christianity today that's satisfied with just breaking even. And what I mean by that is is basically, if I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I do more of this, then hopefully my good and my bad, eventually just I break even. And the problem with that is that we become so focused on doing nothing wrong, that you actually do nothing right. God wants you to do some very right things that are dream-sized things. If all I'm focused on is just not doing certain stuff and trying to live the holy life by not, 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 not doing, listen, you want to stop sinning? It doesn't happen by saying, stop sinning. You want to stop sinning. It's, when you, it's what happens when you begin to pursue God through a dream he's placing in your life. And you're saying, I'm not going to let anything hold me back from pursuing what God's planted in my heart for the future. If I want to live victorious life, it's not saying no to myself. It's saying yes to what God is doing. You know what I love about the Great Commission? We've already saw it in, in Matthew 28. He didn't say, all right, all authority, all power has been given So stop living self-absorbed sinful lives. And what if that was our great commission? Just to stop living selfish, sinful lives. What if that was it? I'll tell you what you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ taking over the Roman Empire. You wouldn't have the birth of hospitals, schools, that all have their origin out of Christians practicing the love of Christ in their context. You would have a bunch of do-gooders who don't do anything good. I'm tired of just breaking even. I want to break beyond into what God wants me to do. So here's the thing. Number three, resolution. If you're ready to embrace it, this year I will learn to dream again, believing that God wants to do something great in me and through me. So what about you? What dream has God placed in your heart? Maybe you're saying, Kelly, I don't know. Or I had one once, but I think I've lost it. I want us to all just for a minute just close our eyes and think about this. What dream has God placed in your heart? What dream is God placing in your heart? If you don't feel that fire of passion about what God is doing, then here's my advice. You need to spend the, this week seeking God. And here's what I know. That if I seek God and pray with my eyes open to the needs that are around me, he's going to show me some dreams right here, right in your context. 
Because the God who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine does it in a context, and that is you, and you have a context called your life where there are family members maybe who don't know Jesus, neighbors that need the hope of Christ. Maybe there's opportunities to serve in our community under the banner of the love of Christ, or maybe he's birthing a brand new thing in your heart that you see because your eyes are open to the needs of our community, and God is breathing into that a dream. For some, it might be scary because maybe the dream he's birthing in your heart you know you can't accomplish in your current career, inside your current house, in your current city. But are we willing to say, Jesus I'm going to follow you into that dream. I'm going to learn to dream again. So, Lord, let that be our prayer today. That this year, 2019, we will learn to dream again, believing that you're still in the business of working mightily and with power by the Holy Spirit through people who honestly trust you and obey you, follow you. So God, I pray you to awaken dreams in the hearts of your people. Because when that happens, when we've got a neighborhood church full of God-sized dreamers, then our community better wake up and pay attention. Because transformation is coming. So Lord, commission us, like you did your disciples, who saw that dream and thought, whoa, that is way too big. But you did it. And you still do it today. Through people who are willing to trust you. So God, rather than just being totally blown away by the lives of those who are willing to obey, let us be those people right where we live. In Jesus' name, amen.